Join me as we share in the reading of God's word found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What a remarkable time of singing God's praises together this morning. Um, We continue in this series called When You Pray. And this morning we come to the all-familiar Lord's Prayer, right? The all-familiar Lord's Prayer. As a matter of fact, I think it is so familiar to us that to consider this prayer in any other translation other than the King James just seems to be weird, doesn't it? So, uh, so you're, you, you're accustomed to praying this prayer. Why don't we begin the sermon by doing that? So let's join together the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it on the screen in case you don't know it. My guess is that most of you do. Are you ready? Let's go. Our Father... So there it is. So there are two uh, things that come to my mind, two stories uh, around the Lord's Prayer that come to my mind. Uh, One was just last week. I was at a funeral, and uh, it was at uh, Methodist Church where this uh, prayer is prayed, I presume, every uh, Sunday when they worship. And I was, uh, there was a choir sitting up there. Don't know who this woman was, but it was time for the Lord's Prayer. And so she's uh, uh, praying the Lord's Prayer as we all are together, and she is nowhere nearby. Like she is just looking around. It's obvious it's not registering with her what she indeed is saying. She's just used to saying it so many times. And then uh, I remember a story. This was several years ago in Trent, our son's life. Uh, he was asked to be a ball boy for the high school football team. And I think he was in maybe late elementary school. And so I dropped him off for a game. And I went to pick him up from this game. And this was his first game serving as a ball boy for the high school football team. And so I said, well, Trent, how was it? He said, well, Dad, um, at the end, uh, you know, there, uh, after the game was over, we met in the middle of the, the field, and they all prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I said, well, that's good. He said, but I don't think they really meant it. And I said, why? He said, you should have heard the words they said before they prayed that prayer. And so there was some disconnect in my elementary school kid's mind with the words said prior to the praying of the Lord's Prayer. So I know it is my job as a preacher today to kind of rescue us from the familiarity of this prayer. 
because we have uh, so memorized it through the years and it's uh, become memorized that I'm afraid we have memorized it without internalizing it. And this morning, the goal is to internalize it as you have already memorized it. Luke 11 also gives account of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, and the Lord's Prayer resulted D.L. Moody, the great uh, Chicago pastor, said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach. He taught them how to pray. So Jesus says, pray then like this. All right, so the question uh, then, uh, just not a super important question, but uh, why do we not here at Grace uh, say the Lord's Prayer or pray, hopefully, the Lord's Prayer every single service? It, It is because of that tiny little phrase, pray then like this. Uh, Jesus doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. Uh, Secondly, the the Lord's Prayer occurs twice in Scripture and it's different. And so uh, the thought is if if we ought to pray this every single Sunday, it would be verbatim the same in both Matthew and Luke. So what then should we learn? Uh, There's one line uh, for us to internalize this morning that if you and I will, it will change how we pray this prayer. And this prayer hopefully will re-enter our lives, not as memorized, but as internalized. And here it is, praying as Jesus taught is moving from me and mine to you and ours. Okay, praying as Jesus taught is moving from me and mine to you and ours. So let's take care of the me to you and the mine to ours. Notice how Jesus begins this model prayer with a vertical focus, not with the focus on you or me. He says, our Father. Now, Jews of this period would never uh, or would seldom refer to God as Father. They would use titles like Sovereign Lord or King of the Universe. And I shared this verse with you last week, and it bears repeating today. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Though you did not fully understand it, when you came to God by faith in Christ, the spirit, capital S, came to live in you and change your spirit, little s, to one that seeks God and cries out to him as indeed the father of your life, your dad. Jesus, in talking uh, more about this in Luke 11, says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? For if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? 
All right, so that's a little hard for us to identify with. Why? I wonder how many of you have kids who wake up in the morning saying, Daddy, give me a fish. Right? There's not many kids want to fish. Or where's my egg? Right? All right, so maybe, maybe it's Krispy Kreme. I don't know. Uh, Mr. Bob's. Uh, whatever. If your kid asks for it, Will you indeed give them something that could hurt them, right? The fish is good, the serpent isn't, the egg is good, the scorpion isn't. If you then, this is a lesser to greater argument, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Who is this Holy Spirit? He is the Holy Spirit who sends word into your heart saying, call him dad. That's who he is. Jesus says we pray our father. Jeff Newton tells the story. He says, my four-year-old son, Jonathan was sitting in church and in uh, Newton's church, they, they say the Lord's prayer every single Sunday. And he was trying to get it. And he said, I leaned in and I listened to him say this, our father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. That's really what Jesus is saying, isn't it? You're praying to a father, and every good father knows his kids' names. Every good father knows his kids' names. Now, this father is where? In where? Heaven. All right, so I'm going to give you again, because it's worth repeating, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. All right, so God is in heaven. We are on earth. Jesus says, start out praying. He is your father, but he is your father in a very exalted place. He is in heaven. You are on earth. You see through a tiny little window of life. He sees all of life from beginning to the end. This week I saw this evidence. I show up at the hospital when uh, D. Googe is there and he's uh, fallen. Don't know exactly why he's fallen, but he's hit his head. He's on uh, blood thinners. He's got to have uh, emergency surgery. And so Janet is there uh, with uh, the rest of the family. And so I go up to see Mark's uh, dad. I come down to see Janet and I love what Janet said. Uh, Janet, I said, Janet, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing fine. She said, I just reminded myself that God uh, knew all of this. He's already experienced everything I'm going through. He's walking with me right now through this. There is no part of this that has caught God by surprise. What is Janet saying? Our God is where, church? He's in heaven. I am where? On earth. I cannot forget that. As I pray to God, as I go through my circumstances, as I battle my battles, I cannot forget that there is a God who is highly exalted in heaven. Now there are three requests. Here they are. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'll deal with those three. These are all vertical requests. Uh, So far, there is no part of this prayer that has said me or my. Have you gotten that? Oh my goodness, is this not so different from how we pray? 
even how we use this prayer, right? Why do ball teams pray this prayer? Oh, God, give us good, you know, let us win tonight. Oh, God, we, you know, it's a token prayer, right? It's, it, it's, it's the uh, rabbit, rabbit's foot. Uh, that's what it is. If you uh, travel to Senegal uh, on a mission trip, they put cowtails on the end of their buses to make sure that they have traveling mercies. They hang things over the, uh, uh, the uh, bus driver, has a number of things hanging over him. This prayer has really become that. But actually, there are three requests that are vertical. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means, God, may your name be kept holy. How is God's name kept holy? By our attitude and our actions. You see, back then, a name and an activity were synonymous. How do we know that? If you go to the beginning of the Gospels, they said his name shall be called, talking of Jesus, Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Well, why would you call him Jesus? Because Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. And so when we keep God's name holy, it's that our actions and our attitudes are such that when others see and listen, when they see and listen, they see a holy God. They, they experience a holy God. They know that that must be what it's like to walk with a holy God. So when you pray, may your name be kept holy. That's why it's difficult, right? To pray this prayer after slinging all the four-letter words you've slung on the football field. It It just doesn't seem to make sense, right? May your name be kept holy. Or that's why it's hard to pray this prayer when you fought all the way to church because she couldn't get ready on time. And you argued all the way and then you get here, right? You've done this as a family. It's just been bickering and fighting in the kids. They couldn't get their act together. And so you roll again late. And when you do, everybody's angry. Everybody stands up. Our father who art in heaven, (laughs) hallowed be thy name. And the kids are going, his name wasn't hallowed about three seconds ago. (laughs) Right? Your kingdom come. No, no, no. Your will be done. No, it's get out of the house and in the car before I kill you. You see, it's this disconnect that we have. Hallowed be your name. But then I love what J.I. Packer says about your kingdom come and your will be done. Your kingdom come means to pray to put the world right. Don't miss this. To pray to put the world right. Uh, He says this is external. Uh, This appeals to the justice of God. So so yesterday I led a prayer seminar uh, for folks who pray during our services. I'll be leading these for the rest of us. uh, From time to time you'll get word about those soon. But uh, this struck me yesterday big time. Uh, When we pray to put the world right, uh, we are praying that God will depose the leader of Syria as he inflicts unbelievable, atrocious harm on people. Is it okay to pray like that? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's imperative. When you pray for God to put the world right, it means that your view of what's happening in the world ought to so affect you that you begin to pray for colossal change to take place. I'm reading Amazing Grace right now, the story of Wilberforce and the end of slavery in England. And Wilberforce's desire was to put the world right there. How we must 
pray about God's grand purposes. Do you see the selflessness of this prayer? Do you see how we've taken this and we've memorized it and we've turned it and we've made it a, a token of, uh, uh, of kind of good luck, haven't we? Of just, let me fire this up. It's so far, we're just not even home yet. We are just all about God and his kingdom. So that's what it means to pray, your kingdom come. But to pray, thy will be done is internal. It's now to us align our hearts with God. Where do we see that played out? Fast forward, I wonder if Jesus is thinking about the coming uh, cross and the beating and everything he's going to endure. Thy kingdom come, uh, thy will be done. Uh, He would bow in the garden of Gethsemane and pray that very prayer, wouldn't he? Oh, what's looming ahead of him is a merciless beating. Uh, What's looming ahead of him is that cat of nine tails that's going to wrap around his body and rip him to shreds and then a cross and he'll be impaled. uh, Nails in wrists, spikes in feet, he'll be impaled on that cross. And he bows there and prays so fervently that his sweat turns to blood. Uh, Not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Let me ask you a question this morning. Not a rhetorical question, although it could be perceived as one. How many of you this week has your will come in conflict with God's? Raise your hand. Yes. We have to repeatedly pray, thy will be done. Why? Because our will, our sinful nature comes against the will of God. All right, so so the whole first half of this prayer is vertical, isn't it? It's all about God, his plan, his will, his purposes. The second part, moving from mine to ours. Up until now, the petitions, the requests are the great causes of God, but now we deal with the great needs of man. So the great causes of God uh, become the great needs of man. Our food our sins, and our temptations. Our food, our sins, and our temptations. Give us this day our what kind of bread? Daily. Well, what does that mean? In Jesus' day, there were uh, several groups of people, but the largest group and the one he seemed to spend the most time with called the Amorets, they were common people. They were day laborers. So what does that mean? All right, so most likely every one of you has a job in this room. Maybe not all of you. Some of you may work for a a temp agency where literally they call you every single day and say, you have a job today here. Uh, But in Jesus' day, you didn't get a weekly paycheck. For most people, they would show up and hope that the, the farmer who owned the vineyard needed them that day. So they would show up and they would wait and that farmer would say, yes, I need you. And the farmer would then hire the person for the day. And once the person went to work for the day, they'd work and they got paid at 6 p.m. at the end of that day. And they lived their lives every day. And at 6 p.m., they went and bought bread and food for the next day. That's what they did. That was their existence. Every single day, show up, hope there's work, 
get paid. There's no bank account. There's no debit card. There's no uh, stash to draw from. There's not a savings account anywhere unless you're a wealthy landowner. Hope to get work for that day. Show up, get work, and then buy food that your family will eat the next day while you're working. So when this says, give us this day our daily bread, he's saying to them, number one, I understand your plight. How could Jesus get this? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, I don't even have a place to lay my head down. When he went to pay his taxes, oh, that we were this good at fishing. He cast out, caught a fish, got a coin out of its mouth, and took it and paid his, paid his taxes. When they got hungry, he took a fisherman's uh, lunch and took that lunch and turned it into enough to feed 5,000 plus all the women and children. This was how Jesus lived. Well, is this new? No. Go all the way back to Exodus 16.4. Notice this. Don't miss this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Wow, wouldn't that be good? Our family went out to dinner last night, and they brought the bread, and then we began talking about our favorite bread at restaurants, right? Our favorite bread. Different restaurants have different bread they bring before you eat. So so what if you went out, and it was raining those those, uh, brown, chewy croutons from Ruby Tuesdays? Mm, Those things are so good, right? You go there to eat a healthy salad and blow it at the end of the line with those things, So he said, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather how long? How much? How much class? How much? A day's portion every day. A day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. What's the test? Don't miss this. What's the test? Will you depend on God One day at a time. That's the test. Give us this day our daily bread. The writer of Lamentations in all of chapter 3 has been just just woes in God. Why have you allowed this? And why have you done this? And God, why is this so bad? And why am I so disturbed? And why is all of this happening? And then he gets to 21. But this I call to mind. In the middle of all the woes and the difficulties and the pains and the struggles. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every what church? Morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. You say, Jerry, what does that look like? This, I am convinced, means that every day, please hang with me on this, every day, God deposits into the bank account of your life enough mercies for that day. All right, enough mercies for that day. 
whatever that day may bring, God deposits into the bank account of your life enough mercies for that day. And do you know what he wants you to do? Swipe the debit card as often as you need to. Withdraw every one of those mercies. Why? Because at the end of the day, you don't carry over the balance. Because come tomorrow, do you know what he's doing into the bank account of your life? Depositing more mercies for a new day. And do you know what he wants you to do the next day? Swipe the debit card every single time. You need new mercies. Go after them. Go get them. Go to him often and early and late and in the middle of the day. Why? Because there's enough in your account. You say, how do you know? If you go to uh, Exodus, did they trust him? Well, no. What did they do? He said, okay, when it comes to Sabbath, I'll just collect enough bread for two days. So they did that. They saw it didn't spoil. And guess what they thought? Well, maybe I could collect enough. And uh, these are hoarders, right? I'll collect enough and I'll have enough for a couple of days. And what happened to the man? It soured. Like you could smell it all over the camp. Why? Does God, was God displeased with that? Because it says, what if God doesn't give me bread tomorrow? That's the attitude. That's the test them to see if they will trust me. Now I want to add this. You'll hear more about it this week via email. But I want to add this. All of these prayers are in second person plural. Us and our. That means not only am I to be concerned about the bread I eat, but I'm to be concerned about the bread others need too. Right? So on Father's Day here, we're, we're, we're launching a, a campaign all over the county. I've been on, church, on phone with pastors all over our county this week. Right now I have about 10 pastors on board. And this campaign is directed to men. Why? Women almost always carry the banner when it comes to human needs. And so a little campaign called Not On My Watch. Meaning what? Well, we will feed again this summer 500 kids in this county. Did you know that 31.6 or 32.6% of the kids in this county are food insecure? That means one-third, one out of every three child, uh, children in McDowell County this summer without free breakfast and free lunch will wake up and wonder, will there be enough food in my house to eat today? And do you know what it would be a crime for churches like this to turn our heads to that and say, uh, you can't pray this prayer and do that, can you? Give us this day our daily bread. And so it will include not only your daily bread, but the daily bread of kids all over this county who otherwise would wake up and wonder, will there be enough food for me today? That's the prayer. Secondly, forgive us our debts. So this word debts, which I think is a better translation than trespasses, this word debts means that when you sin and I sin, it puts us in debt to whom? God. 
we, we rack up a debt. So, so why the debt talk? Well, if you go to the cross, what was the, uh, it's one word in the Greek, but it's three words uh, in English. What are the three words that Jesus said from the cross when he died? Just shout it out. What are they? It is finished. To Tetelestai. Now, here's what I love about that little phrase, that one-word phrase. It was also the same word uh, used to describe, used to write on a bill when it was paid in full. Wow. Tetelestai. So I owe something to somebody. I take them the final payment on what I owe. And when I take them the final payment, the businessman, the businesswoman takes and writes one word on the bottom of the bill to Telestai. That means I don't owe them anymore. It is finished. So why would Jesus use such a technical term? Why would he do that? Well, there's a songwriter who got this, and I'm going to give you the background of this song, and it's going to make you smile from now on every time you sing it. All right, so this songwriter, she uh, happened to be sitting in the choir, and her pastor was praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying. True story. He just kept praying, and she was like, will he ever stop? All right, she thought he would never quit praying. So she got out a piece of paper and decided to write a hymn. He prayed so long that she wrote this during the prayer, finished it while he was praying. And you guys think I preach a long time. And she finished it while he was praying and handed it to him at the end of the service. So happened that another guy in his church who was a musician had just composed this. He said, there's got to be a hymn that'll fit with this. He handed it to the musician and here are the words. And I so wonder, was she, was she trying to hear the savior say, thy strength is in, indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me, not that long-winded pastor, thine all in all. Jesus paid it. How much, church? All. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Maybe you don't know all the verses, so let me read them to you. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. I want to say something to you. If you ever feel compelled by the Spirit while I'm preaching to write something this good, have at it. <laughs> just, just, just have at it. No lie, in the second service every Sunday, somebody sketches me while I preach. I guess he's bored out of his mind. And so he sketches me while I preach. He was leaving them on the seats. And we're like, who's, who's the artist, you know? And then we figured out who he was. And I sent him a note and thanked him. Um, <laughs> number three, and now complete in him, wow, my robe, his righteousness, clothes sheltered neath his side. I am divinely blessed. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. When from my dying bed my ransomed soul shall rise, Jesus died my soul to save, shall rend the vaulted skies. Last verse. She got six verses in in this prayer, plus a chorus. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, all down. At Jesus' feet. Why? 
Jesus paid it. What? And how much do we owe to him? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, what do we learn as we forgive our debtors? So what does that teach us? There's some commentary on it at the end of the prayer. What does that teach us? Number one, you will not be able to give forgiveness until you've learned how to receive it. Okay, there's some of you who can't forgive yourselves or let God forgive you for whatever it is that you've done. And until you're able to receive forgiveness, there's no way you can grant it. You just can't give what you don't have. And so if you don't forgive others, it shows you haven't been what? Forgiven. And then there's the final, uh, probably most confusing part of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation. So many people have wrestled with this. James is clear to teach us that, that God tempts no one. And so if God doesn't tempt anyone, why would we need to pray a prayer that says, do not lead us into temptation? Well, what does it mean? I did some digging, read a stack of books just on this phrase uh, this week, just sections of the book. And uh, this is what I learned. That the prayer could very much be said like this, cause us not to be led into temptation. So, this acknowledges the reality of temptation, the lure of temptation, but the power of Christ to cause us to go another direction. So you know what your weaknesses are, right? And since you know your weaknesses, you are to pray to God in light of your weaknesses that you will not be led into temptation. So God, when temptation rears its ugly head, would you instead lead me this way or lead me in another way? This is really uh, kind of different than we have a tendency as human beings to think of temptation, right? If you want to get strong, what do you do? You, you lift more weight, like you suffer more, you endure more. So I used to have a black lab. Uh, Hayden was his name. Great dog. All right, just best dog. Uh, sorry, Hannah and Trent, we have ever owned. All right, much better than the ones we own now. That's what I'm trying to say. So Hayden was super smart, and I being the nerd that I was, I was a single guy when I first had Hayden. I got a book, right? If you want to know how to do something, you read it if you're like me. So I bought a book on how to train a dog. And I, when he turned six months, I started just by the book. This is how to train a dog. Teaching him to heal, teaching him to sit, teaching him to stay, teaching him to come to me, etc. And Hayden, being a black lab, being so smart, got every bit of it. I mean, every bit of it, to the point that if I walked and Hayden was beside me and I said, heal, he would not get in front of my right foot 
He just wouldn't do it. And when I stopped, he would just sit down and look at me. Like, what's next? So how did I teach him to stay? It was cruel, all right? I got a piece of meat. And he loved some meat. And I started with that piece of meat, and I put it over a little ways. And I said, and Hayden's first instinct is to do what? Lunge, right? Get the piece of meat. And I would say, stay, right? And I would back up toward the piece of meat and say, stay. And he wouldn't move toward me, and his mouth would just start to water. And he's looking at me like, you're so mean to me. Give me that. And then I would say, okay, and he would just lunge toward it. That's how I trained him um, to do it. So much so that I got him to where I could literally put the piece of meat on his nose. And I would say, no. And he would sit there with that piece of meat on his nose and he's just salivating. Like, you're so mean to me. And then I would say, okay, and he'd pop it up and grab it in his mouth. It was so cool. And I loved that dog. Really, I did. But that isn't how God strengthens us against sin. Not at all. Uh Uh-uh. And if some of you are thinking, I can dance close to the edge of the cliff, or I can resist this temptation. So who in the world in here thinks that? Teenagers. Teenagers. Teenagers, young people, you think, no, no, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I'll never smoke pot. I'll never do that. But I'll hang out with people who do, and it will be okay. I'll never go down that road. It's like me thinking that as soon as I walk away from Hayden, you see, the desire is not in him. The command is in me. And if there's a piece of meat lying out and I'm nowhere to be found, what's he going to do? He's going to eat it. God doesn't do that. God steers us away. Some of you need to say, God, get me out of where I am. But not only do you pray for yourself, you pray for others, your family, your kids, your life group. I'll close with this tiny little poem, but it's so very fitting. It says, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, I You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It doesn't once say, me. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look around you right now. Just look around. People you may or may not know sitting around you. And now we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer again. With new insight. With new insight. Maybe a tad slower. Maybe in light of people around you. You guys ready? Let's do that. I'll lead us. And it'll be on the screen like it was before. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, your son taught us how to pray. Not me and mine, but you and ours. This week, I don't know if there needs to be more action in prayer as much as change in attitude in prayer on our parts. I pray that these folks would take this model prayer and begin to pray it differently. I pray that we would really pray for each other to you in light of how great you are. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Uh, See you next week.